Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey guys, welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur, your favorite place to have amazing interviews, hear the backstory and the creativity behind why so many successful people have created and done what they do. And you're, of course, getting to understand why you do what you do. I'm your host, Matt Browning. So excited to have you here. And I'm really excited to introduce my next guest for this segment here. Uh, his name is Richard Kincaid. Now, Richard has a, a really, really interesting story. He's the founder and CEO of a company called Sage Green Life a design and manufacturing company specializing in those really, really cool living garden walls. I've seen them in several hotels I've been around, uh, traveling around the country when I go speak. Uh, love seeing those and you can have them really anywhere you want. It's incredible. As a strategic leader with a background in real estate, uh, Kincaid drives the firm's mission of bringing a sense of well-being, a purpose, a beauty to commercial and residential spaces across the globe. Now, there's a reason why he's gotten into this industry specifically, because he has a massive background in real estate. He's held three different C-level positions at, at one point, the largest real estate company in the world, Equity Office. Um, he started there in 90. We're getting into what it was like to run a company that large that's buying and selling billions and billions of dollars in commercial real estate and helping the company to grow from zero to $39 billion. Um, what a mind and what a leader he's got to be. Let's bring him on the show. Richard, how are you, man? Good. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to, to pick that brain of yours and to get to know you a little bit. This is exciting. Um, I, I want to start with, you know, so you, you jumped into the real estate business. Uh, was this your first like uh, uh, venture into, you know, I, I guess it was, was it a startup at the point at 1990? Was it much newer? How old were you and how old was the company when you, when you jumped in with equity office? Yeah, we were, we were in 1990, we were, really a bunch of private companies and some opportunity funds with the sponsor being Sam Zell, who's a pretty famous entrepreneur. And we were right in the middle of a really, really tough real estate recession, savings and loan crisis. And so what we were doing was raising money to buy office, retail, apartments, and even manufactured homes uh, at really distressed prices. and. Out of that, we turned three companies, the three of the largest in their segment, Equity Office, which was the office company I went with, Equity Residential and Equity Lifestyle. All of them came out of that beginnings of trying to uh, buy when no one else was buying in, in the late 80s and the early 90s in a really extreme real estate recession. I was going to ask you that. I mean, that was when, you know, just for, for the history lesson, you know, that, that was when we were getting into double digit interest rates when, um, cause it, I mean, it really went through what, 93, 94. So it you did. it was, it was really bad. That was when, uh, almost all the savings and loans failed in the country and many of the banks were Citigroup almost failed and there was zero liquidity. I remember being, you know, I was in capital markets and I remember sitting around trying to find a loan on a building that we bought for 50% of what it cost. And I can only get 
50% of that. So 25% of what it costs. And I had to go to Ford, Ford Motor Credit to get a loan on that asset. That was, uh, it was really, really a difficult time uh, for real estate. There was no liquidity at all. Yeah. You know, people today, like when we talk about like the 2000 kind of seven to nine credit crunch and, and, and all of that mini recession or whatever you want to call it, um, that, that wasn't even really in comparison to, to in the late eighties, 89, 90, it was, it was getting really, really bad. So what was it like for you to jump in and, and kind of being that salmon swimming upstream, you know, going to investors, going to people and saying, Hey, we see the vision on the end of this. Did you get a lot of like doom and gloom and people saying, listen, I get what you're doing, but this is a bad time. I'd like, you know, because when it starts going down, whether it's stock market or real estate, people can't help it. You, everyone knows buy low, sell high, but there's still that emotion of, yeah, but it's scary. Did you get a lot of resistance doing that? Or did you get people going, hey, this is brilliant. Let's jump on board. Yeah, we really, we, we did get a lot of resistance, but credit to Sam Zell, who really started to raise the first real estate opportunity funds. And he convinced 48 pension funds over four funds, raised 2.2 billion in equity at that time. And it was Whoa. because, I know, it was because of his track record and foresight. He'd already been, always been a contrarian investor. So that was, uh, that was, we were the only person that had any money. So it was, it was fascinating. And it was like, um, it was like getting experience in dog years, I always like to say, because you were just thrown into so many things um, at, a, at a really young age. And the other thing that was interesting about working for Sam was he legitimately ran a meritocracy. You know, I went to a state school. I grew up in a little town in Kansas. Uh, I, then I went off and got my MBA at Texas. And I always like to say I was never qualified for any job I had, which is true. Um, but the issue was if you could uh, perform and knew when to raise your hand when you're in too deep, he would just give you so much experience. And that's really, really what that 17 years was like from the very beginning when we were just in this terrible recession to the point we were taking all these companies public. Um, you know, we took Equity Office public in 97. I was the CFO at 33. 33. Okay, so... Yeah. So yeah, and I, I was like, I'd never been a twenties yeah. starting. Yeah, I'd never been a CFO before at any of that. So it was just, uh, you know, it was just an incredible experience. It really was. So when you went public on the New York Stock Exchange, uh, was there was there a ton of added pressure? Did you feel like okay, now that we've made all the success, it's like shoot, now there's a new standard, there's a new platform, we can't fail. Or was it like, hey, you know, let's go, let's just keep going? Did you ever feel like it shifted or it changed the culture for the people? Um, and if it did, how did you how did you deal with that as far as I don't know, like morale and 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 motivation and, and leadership? Yeah, it was a very pronounced change from being a private company with a lot of shared services uh, to having to to form a very distinct company with different shareholders and different expectations and doing conference calls, you know, and then the other point was we went out with about 28 million square feet. And in four years, we grew to 140 million square feet. So we literally did a merger right out of the blocks after we became public. So at that point, it was CFO. So part of it was this extraordinary growth. So you're having to try to integrate 
and come up with a shared culture and do quarterly conference calls and just, yeah, it was, it was very challenging. Um, growing rapidly is very challenging because, you know, unfortunately what happens is you have to, you have to do your best to, to bring your whole team, uh, around with you and some people can step up and some people can't and trying to figure out how to get the right people in the right roles is, is actually very challenging and there's nothing wrong with someone being an independent contributor you just can't put them in a management position so lots of things you had to learn um, probably more than anything was with that type of growth I had to have a great team that I could rely on because it was just too much going on but yeah it was it was it was very intense how so speaking of that when you talked about managers and who you could trust or who was the right person for the job so when you got to the to the peak of that company and we want to move into what you've been doing after that as well um you got up to like 3500 employees and for me like to even consider say hey i'm going to run 35 people i could see how to do that and having leaders in place and i can see the amount of work it does what advice do you have for a leader who who is on the uptrend and they have more team members coming, they have growth coming and they have expansion coming? Do you have any, like what would you do differently or what would you do the same that worked really well as you guys were growing and adding more team members? One of the things that we did that was very effective is we did a ton of communication. So people always have quarterly conference calls for the investors. I had them for employees. I would always take confidential questions so they could ask anything and I would answer it. The one thing that I really learned and believe in wholeheartedly is it's not, you know, a lot of people spend a lot of time on mission statements and value statements and I'm not denigrating that, but it's what you actually do is what sticks with employees, particularly this longer, this younger generation. So the critical thing is to, communicate and be honest and be willing to answer some of the tough questions um, so that there's trust because you know when you're growing like that you're asking people to walk through walls for you you're asking them to work extremely hard and so the trust and the and then and then really rewarding people for that so that's something that we did a good job of was communication and trying to we gave stock options to literally every single employee. It was something we really believed in. Even building engineers that technically worked for somebody else because we wanted people to feel like they had some of the upside for all this stuff we were doing. And really, a lot of people made a lot of money. And one of the things I'm most proud of is we were the first real estate company to be in Fortune's most admired place to work. Most admired place to work. Yeah, the you know the, the we were the first real estate company in there. We were first real estate company in the S and P five hundred. We did a lot of milestones, but making it a great place to work was was one of the things I was I was most proud of. I do you know I hear that a lot a lot today from you know whether it's uh, em, employees, young guys starting out, young guys and girls starting out, or from the the leadership side too. That when you look at a list of the reasons to work somewhere, salary is beginning to drop lower and lower, which is kind of shocking when you know if you're speaking in the '80s, they go, "Well, salary is the whole reason you work somewhere," uh, and you'll go to a new company for that. What would you say would be like the top? I don't know, maybe three reasons that the people there, that many people said, yeah, I want to be here. 
Um, I think part of it was we there there when you're growing like that, there is a lot of opportunity to, for people to move up and assume new things. I think I think we we were I've always been sort of a big, big proponent of um, treating people like professionals, and as long as they get their work done, I'm super flexible about working for home. Or I remember having a leasing guy going, "Wow, I'd love to coach my." son, but it's like so time consuming. I was like, just do it and get your job done. You know, I think treating people, giving them the flexibility, treating them like professionals and assuming the best um, goes a long way, particularly in a, in the world that we live in, which is so um, complicated for people at different stages of their life, whether you have small children or elder care, whatever that is. I think it goes a long way if you assume the best from people, you tend to get paid back in spades. I had a lot, we were really early about with working moms, letting them work three or four days a week. And they worked and got more done than most of the people working for, full time. So a huge, I'm a huge believer of trying to meet people where they are. And if you create those opportunities, you get so much back in terms of productivity and loyalty. So that's part of it. I think you just have to understand where people are and treat them like a professional and really good things tend to happen. Well, I mean, treating people like they don't want to steal from you, like they actually want to help. You know, I, I've been kind of preaching that for, for a number of years. One of the, and we have a much smaller company, but you know, at any given point, we have a handful of employees, contractors, volunteers and whatnot. And I've had a policy for years that we don't track it. vacation time. There's unlimited vacation time, unlimited sick time, unlimited family time. And what happens is if someone needs to do something, they go do it and we support them. And they end up, just like you said, it's like they're willing to work harder before, after. They might take a call or something while they're on a trip if they need to. I never ask them to do that, but everyone always is willing to because they know that we actually care and put them first. So I'm glad to hear someone that has ran you know, 100 times more, uh, more people to say the same thing. Let's talk about um, you venturing off you're on your own after that. So quite a long career in real estate. And then in 2010, you start uh, the green wall company, Sage Green Life, doing living green walls. What in the world sparked the idea that this would be your next venture? This is a thing. Did you plan on having a real estate component to it? Were you just like super inspired by creativity? Was your mom a gardener? Tell me yeah, there's be a story behind this. Yeah, there is totally a story. So I think what happened after we sold the company at the Blackstone Group, that was a $39 billion tra transaction and the largest LBO in the history at that time. You know, I kind of had a choice to make because I was only 45 and... And did you do pretty well at, at, at the sale? Yeah, of that? I'm sure you, I, absolutely. Because I never sold anything and I worked for them for, you know, 17 years. And I was the CEO at the time we sold it. But I'd also given up a lot. I had three kids. They were uh, still young, some in high school, some younger than that. And I had a choice to make. It was like, do I go back and jump in? And I remember I was interviewing with a very large private equity firm thinking about helping them do a real estate platform. And they said to me, you know, if you don't have 15 to 20 billion in five years, it's not going to be worth it. And I sat back. That's when I go, you know, I've done that. Not sure I want to do that again. Um, so what I did instead was I started a foundation, started to do uh, some documentary films for certain causes, 
And I started to invest my own capital in things that um, I felt had uh, some broader purpose other than just to make money. I'm all for making money. But the thing with Sage Greenlight that was fascinating to me is we were just looking at how the green movement was starting to affect the, the built environment. And it was far more advanced in Europe. And living walls were starting, but they were pretty flawed projects. And basically, the idea was wow, if we could design a really great living wall product, then you could put these things everywhere and what a better community that would be, right? Having, you don't have to live in a concrete jungle or some sterile office environment with 50 cubes under fluorescent lights. Why can't you enjoy plants and flowers um, everywhere? We were a little ahead of our time here in the U.S., but the idea was, let's put this stuff everywhere. Reduces CO2, reduces pollution, makes all kinds of physiological changes that are positive. Uh, so that was really the idea was, hey, let's take my own capital and start some things. So hopefully at the end of the day, those businesses leave the environment better than, than, than when we started. That's such a cool, such a cool idea. And I, and I love that it also bridges Richard from like your culture from the previous real estate company where you said, Hey, we're a real estate company, but let's not just feel like it's concrete. Let's take care of the people. And I can see how having living walls around would do the exact same thing. Who did you, who did you go after kind of originally as uh, like in the, in the business plan? So we're going to launch this. We're going to, are you going to hotels? Are you going to office buildings? Did you go retail first? Where did you pick if there was only one or two and why did you go there? What was the idea? It was, it was interesting. So we got two patents. We got a patent on our whole growth system. And then we got a patent on embedding media in vertical gardens. And my co-founder at that time, we started with airports because we thought, wow, well, why wouldn't you want to green the airports? And then hopefully you could convince sponsors to come in and pay for them so it was a much better environment for everyone while they're sitting around in an airport. So when you say media, you mean like you were in bed like, like a TV screen Either or something? Screen, screen or crown signage or you know anything, because you can easily put pin-mounted logos and things on these and they look like they're floating in the plants. The problem with the airport, well, the first thing we did, this is like any business, you do all these pivots, problem with the airports was, yeah, they're all like, hey, yeah, we'd love that. But we just sold our concessions for 10 years to Clear Channel or somebody else. And honestly, what you figured out real quickly was those guys paid a lot of money. The last thing they wanted to do was come up with something more expensive than just slapping a poster board. And so there wasn't a lot of interest in that's what you that's why you get what you get when you go in an airport, because they paid a lot of money up front. There's no incentive for them to do something beautiful. And, and who was they? Is it, is it a marketing firm that pays the airport to use the space and then they broker yeah, it what, out? Yeah, what happens is they sell the concession for all the advertising in an airport to somebody like Clear Channel or JC Deco, and they then turn around and try to maximize whatever they can from advertising. But obviously... Slapping up a poster board somewhere is a lot cheaper than putting in a green wall. And so the interests weren't aligned. We quickly pivoted over into uh, more broadly the commercial real estate. The real breakthrough for us was uh, 
we were part of a RFP for the Apple stores. Uh, we ended up winning that RFP in 2015 at the end. And we've done a number of Apple stores, which what was great about the Apple stores was they did really large, just these beautiful outdoor installations. And so part of what, what our challenge was, was like any business has been an artist in industry and no one, you had to have enough installations to prove to someone that your walls worked better than everybody else. And you had to have someone take that shot. And really when Apple started to do it, uh, they did these spectacular installations that looked great. And we could start to, to point out how, you know, our, our system has 30 to 50% lower plant maintenance costs, uses 75% less water. It's got twice as effective as acoustical tiles on sound absorption. And then you got the air quality and all these other things. And that started to allow us to start to grow. And now we're in all aspects, uh, every sector of commercial and residential real estate, including restaurants, hotels, office, senior housing. So we're in all those different categories. But the first part was you had that, is one of those circular things that startups have, which is someone wants to see that you've done them, but you gotta have the first one. Fortunately for us, it was Apple stores that stepped up. That's, that's not a bad first brand. No. Doing it all over again, would you would you go after like really go after those requests for proposals from large brands and companies like first would you say we got to get an apple under our belt or a someone under our belt or would you i don't know like w- would you approach it differently if you Yeah, I wouldn't have spent as much time on the media side of the business even though I think that's still really interesting because I think you know, what everybody's struggling with is people are going to great lengths now to block advertising. And part of the problem is the advertisers and those mechanisms are annoying. Correct. If you can sit around and bring something beautiful to someone, uh, we actually have a living outdoor billboard going in with a big firm that's just going to be gorgeous. And it's going to have a digital screen in it, but it's going to be this giant towering green wall that will be very well loved. And I think, so there's still an opportunity there, but you have to find uh, people and sponsors that want to be associated with something, you know, like that, that costs, certainly it costs more than slapping up just a screen or something. Uh, But I think that will happen. But the, the broader thing that's really, really taken off is just, I think from even from even when, you know, 2000, I think the real desire for authentic sustainability and truly better work environments has just accelerated, partially because of we're in a tight labor market, but we're in a demographic labor shortfall. And so what for a lot of people running a big business like I did, it's the first time in their career where they got to sit around and go, wow. I really do have to attract and retain my talent. So maybe that cube farm's not such a good idea. Because for most of my career, they were trying to cram people in smaller farms. Yes, oh my God, it was Dilbert, right? It was the origins of Dilbert. And and it never made sense to me. Why do you think someone's going to be productive in under fluorescence lighting in these sterile... And so finally, people are realizing that and that's changing and you're seeing... Um, desiring to have real 
authentic sustainability everywhere, including coming out of cities. So, well, that's going back to, I mean, you know, coming out of the industrial revolution when, you know, we realized, wait a minute, there's, there's assembly lines and there's a, a more functional way to build machines and build cars. And then we, and then medicine came out in the same way where all oh, we can do that with people, we can replace organs. And I just, I love what you're doing because you're seeing this trend, which has taken off and I think is still has so much more to go in understanding this cultural, this actual human revolution, you know, the, the, of the mind, the emotions, the body. The, the way to maximize someone's potential is not, um, you know, like you said, cubicle. It's not saying let's get 18 hours out of this person and let's get 35 years of good work, give them a gold watch, put them to the, to, to the pasture. Let's do something different. So I love that you're doing that. Um, where, can, where can we find out about you and who are your favorite clients? Like who, you know, if, if someone's listening to this right now, who should be thinking about going to sagegreenlife.com and, uh, and, having a having a, a living wall built well you know the, the the reality is we have these living walls now at all price points we even have small completely movable living partitions and flexible ones that you can move and lean against the wall so part of what i'd say is if you're working in an environment where where you don't have that you most people do surveys talk about trying to create bringing nature back into your space. Um, we're seeing it in apartments. We're seeing it in offices and hotels. And just, I think companies are trying to react more to the employees. So if you're in, a, if you're in an environment that's not great, these aren't that expensive. It's like artwork. You can put these things through your space and they completely operate on a timer. You just got to plug them in. And you can start to bring nature back into your environment. So you plug them in for the sustainability to take care of them? Yeah, they basically have uh, pumps. They run like three or four times a day. They drip, barely drip any water out because the, the material is so absorbent. And it just keeps the plants alive. And then we have LED plant lights, which use very little energy. They come on to keep... So you can have this in a place without even direct sun. So you can take a basement space and turn it into filled with green walls. I um, know. And I'm in, I'm in Grand Rapids. You're in Chicago. I mean, I, now I understand basement living and it can be dang and it can be dark down there. Liven it up. Man, yeah, definitely guys check out sagegreenlife.com. That's the best place to go. There are some cool stuff. You got these pictures of uh, some of the living walls with like some recycled wood plank kind of wall, you know, all built in together. It just looks very, um, very artsy. Are these, is there almost like a barn door option? You said there's a partition. You can get like uh, room partitions. You yeah, can get can. walls. You can. you can. You can literally, instead of having, uh, honestly, cubes, you can have one of these subdividing um, your environments. And we're seeing a lot of people do that. Um, we, we put in uh, herb walls in some places that, that are horizontal, that are really cool. You know, it's like, you know, part of what I would say to, and by the way, there's a lot of data now about how it's not that you just think you're better, you're physiologically better. You have lower cortisol, you have low, fewer sick days, uh, you have a lot of more, product, more productivity. In fact, the, the air inside is 12 times worse than outside, and this cleans that. So there's a lot of reasons why you would do it um, that, that can pay for itself. Uh, but but the biggest one is if you can attract and retain either your customers or your employees, 
you know, that's the most invaluable thing for any business these days. I, I couldn't agree more. Well, you have some, you know, between Apple and Patagonia and uh, just, I mean, you're, you're in the UK, you're all over the place with some gorgeous designs. So you guys check it out. Uh, you, you will love this. And this is for commercial, but also you are doing residential. Is that right too? Yeah, we do, do residential as well. We're going to be able to go and do more because we're just working with Microsoft with their IoT platform. And we're rolling out sensors on every one of these products. So you will be notified if there's anything. We'll be notified, plant maintenance. And if you're doing it at your home, it can notify you, hey, you need to water me. That's so exciting we'll, stuff. Yeah. Well, man, Richard, Richard Kincaid, uh, Sage Green Life. Thank you so much for making the time and coming on and everything. Um, had a phenomenal time. Final question, and I'm going to let you go. Um, if you if you could, outside of what we already talked about, if you could change anything in your entire life's path, what would you change, if anything? Would you leave it all the same? You know, I don't think I'd change anything. It's been a great run. You know, it's uh, from a town of 2,500, you know, I, I just wouldn't change anything. It's been great. Sage words for Sage Green Life. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you. All right, guys, that is it for the show this week. I sure appreciate you listening in, whether you're in the car, the gym, wherever you're at. Make sure, again, if you listen on the radio, we have a, a podcast. You can get this on demand on your phone, tablet, wherever you get podcasts on any podcast player. Search for The Driven Entrepreneur and subscribe, download. Feel free to rate and review. Sure appreciate you. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in a couple of days. 